Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast presented by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is your premier GPS hunting app that turns your mobile phone into a GPS. And this time of year, using Onyx to hunt big woods, mountain bucks, I'm using it just about very, I'm using it almost every day. And I'm doing that by looking at the weather. They have the weather on there. They have being able to look at my potential stand locations, where I'm planning on going into. It's getting that time of year when I'm constantly reviewing maps and trying to figure out what my game plan is going to be going into the next day. So if you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app, head over to onyxmaps.com and use the coupon code EMW and that'll save yourself 20% off of the app. And Elk 101, so Corey Jacobson has put together the most comprehensive elk hunting learning course available and that's called the University of Elk Hunting. If you want to learn everything from the beginning to end, from the planning stages, from the budgeting down to getting in shape for the hunt, you know, every little detail that comes into elk hunting is all in one course. And you can view that. We're not having to search through the internet. Everything's there from years and years of elk hunting knowledge to be able to help you be more successful in planning and hopefully succeeding in your hunt. So if you want to check that out, head over to elk101.com and use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST. That'll save yourself 20% off of a one-year membership to the online course. And last but not least, Tethered. So Tethered has been developing the lightest weight mobile hunting gear out there and they're doing that and they're doing that while creating safe products and being able to just continue to innovate and push others, other companies in the industry and just trying to really push to try to to start making lighter and lighter stuff. And I've been hunting out of my saddle now um, for a little over a year and I don't have any plans to use any fixed stands this year. So that's, it's pretty incredible for me to make that sort of a shift, but I'm really, really enjoying it. So head over to tetherednation.com and check that out. Jared from Tethered will be here this week with me doing some filming and hunting for the Tethered's YouTube channel. So be sure to check that out for some some Pennsylvania pre-rut action, hopefully. And so before I jump into this episode, which is a Q&A episode, I said I was going to do another one with the pre-rut rut questions, and so that's what I'm here to do. But I did want to mention that I I did have a new YouTube video up going through my entire gear list for hunting the pre-rut rut here in Pennsylvania. My whole mobile hunting setup, what's in my pack, what I'm wearing, going through all that. So I have that on my YouTube channel, which is just under Bo Martonic. Or if you head over to eastmeetswesthunt.com and click on the journal tab, you can see I did a whole article with all the items listed out there and also a link to the video in there. So that might be the easiest place for you to find it. But uh, in that list, I have everything lit, uh, listed out with links to the products. And why, so if you 
say you want to order something there that was from Amazon or whatever else, if you do use the link that I have provided there, that does help me out quite a bit. Um, I do make small commission off of those links and those codes. So I really appreciate it. If you think it's helpful and you want to buy one of those products, you know, check that out. I, that would be really, really helpful um, from my standpoint. But other than that, I'm just getting ready when this comes out it'll be my last day of work for the week and hunting from october 28th through the 31st here with with jared from tethered as i had mentioned and weather's looking ideal i mean bucks are moving right now when i was going in to hunt saturday although i got skunked on my morning hunt um i was i saw probably a mid 140s 10 point um, with a doe right along the road in this new cut and just like and everyone was just seeing bucks on their drive in and it was just you know it's starting to really heat up like I think it's 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 not it's only gonna get better from here and that's what I'm excited about um, but yeah my my hunt Saturday was like I was going in um, I had two spots to go to one I thought was a higher odds of killing a buck um, but the one I ended up going to is higher odds of, I guess, killing a really, really good buck or I guess a great buck, my target one. But I kind of had it in my head. It was the spots like I'm either going to kill him or I'm not going to kill anything. And that's what happened. I did. I did have a coyote come in that uh, he came in behind me at 15 yards and I was, was kind of off the off side of my, the weak side, they call it in the saddle. And I twisted and I got on him and I started to draw and I caught my broad head on, on um, a little branch that was coming out of the beech tree behind me and just banged off my riser. I mean, I literally have all my riser wrapped in moleskin besides one spot that it fell off and it hit that and the coyote took off. I went to full draw, but I couldn't get him to stop. So that was, that was about it, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to this week. So this episode, I'm going to go through some more, like I said, Q&A questions about pre-rut ruts. So this came directly from you guys, these questions, and I'm going to answer them the best of my ability. Again, as I said in the last time I did this, I'm not an expert in this. This is what I've just done my entire life. This is the way I would make decisions based on these things. That does not an end-all be-all. So take that with a, a grain of salt. And don't, well, Bo told me to do this and it didn't work. Well, yeah, it probably won't. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I, hope that, uh, I hope that some of these things in my you know, perspective here can help you out a little bit. So I guess we can, uh, we can see. So the first question here is to... Explain your thoughts on hunting the upper one-third of the hill versus the creek bottom. So kind of run through that as a pre-rut rut and kind of getting into a little bit after the rut there. So the way that I would explain that is this is 110% terrain-based. I, I am not... I'm not hunting crick bottoms everywhere. Crick bottoms are very specific to me to areas that have, whether that's a, a bigger crick bottom, say more of um more flat train net, not where like two ridges come down and almost spike to a, a little stream. That, that doesn't work. The wind swirl too much for me to be able to do that. But if you get one that might be steep to hit that bottom, but you have a little bit of a flat going across, maybe some swampiness, you know, beaver pond there you have a better chance of some con 
consistent wins to to stay there. So that's what I'm that's what I'm focused on the correct bottoms, and I'm mostly focused on on them in the pre rut. I'm focusing on if I can find a giant hemlock scrape that has so the hemlock's conifer tree. If I can find one of those that has, you know, multiple scrapes under it, just tore up big community type scrape. I'll hunt directly over that in uh, the pre-rut as well as some of those kind of, you know, getting into some of those rut funnels, essentially places where there's, you know, a crick crossing, maybe on the edge of a beaver pond um, that funnels the deer uh, or, you know, right towards the edge of the side hill where they might be running some thick cover. That all depends. And, and also with crick bottoms, I'm not hunting wide open crick bottoms. I'm hunting ones with thick cover and I'm because the, a lot of times I'll find the does bedded in those bottoms I mean, you know, makes no sense if you if you're thinking too technical about it, and you're you know looking at oh, well, I've heard that the deer only bed up here, and it's, that's not the case. The deer don't always do whatever you think they always do. You know, I tried. I'm a person that tries to put things in rule of thumb as far as you know. Most of the time, they might bed here, but that's just that's very very unlikely to be able to even think about that. So, for, so what I tend to do is is look at every scenario different and kind of go from there. But is, but that's my thought on, you know, hunting the, the crick bottoms. Um, I can you'll hunt a crick bottom if there's big ridges on both sides, but they have to give enough space in the center for that wind to stay somewhat consistent. And most of the time, I'll see that wind coming down the, the crick, especially if it's cold in the mornings. It's going to always come down the valley. And then you got the beaver pond, if you can set up with a beaver pond behind you, I've talked about this before, but you get that, that wind rushing down and the beaver pond water is warmer than the air. And so what that's going to do is it's going to bring it up. So thermals are going to come up in the morning on those cold, frosty mornings. And you're you're honestly like almost, it's almost impossible for the deer to get your wind at that point with the wind coming down the regular, you know, thermals coming down the creek and then hitting the thermals coming off that pond. It's just a really incredible thing if you can find a situation like that. But as far as hunting the upper third of the hill, so most of the time what I'm trying to do in that situation is get them cruising between, you know, potential doe bedding areas. You know, they don't not want to really run across the top, um, you know, in a lot of places, especially if there's hunting pressure. So they're wanting to run just over the edge of the, the ridge and being able to check, say, some does that might be bedded a little bit lower. Um, they might be doing that as the thermals are coming up the ridge or maybe some of the does that even bed on the top. I've seen does, you know, bed in the middle of oak flats on the top. They just, they bed in like a circle so that they can see every direction. And even though they don't have the best wind advantage or anything along those lines, they can still see quite a bit and they have the power of being with a bunch of people. So that really helps out. But those are kind of the two scenarios. But with the upper third of the hill, I'm, I'm focusing more on those, on areas that are funneling deer down at this time of year. And that's, you know, either going to be, it could be in some sort of a a saddle um, off to one side or the other. And I'll usually off to the leeward side of the ridge and, or I could be hunting on a bench. So on a bench that would run across the side of a mountain um, and also a draw. So where there's a steep, steep, ravine going up right where that starts to flatten out a little bit where you'll probably see good trails coming around there i'm just trying to catch you know deer in the 
the optimum places are cruising looking for does but in the pre-rut i'm focusing more on scrapes i'm focusing super heavy on scrapes which i do most of the year but this is the time when these big community scrapes have potential to be hit by three four or five bucks a day or you can see nothing you it's it's really up in the air what you're going to find with these low deer density areas but if there's a hot doe in the area or you know a, a bunch of does that they're coming in the check it could be really really money um, so another another question I got was, do you rattle mountain bucks during the rut? I do and I don't. I actually don't even have a set of rattling antlers right now. I, I could take some sheds and make one, but I uh, lost mine from last year. I just don't really use them much. I mean, maybe last ditch kind of effort, but I've never killed a buck from rattling one. It uh, seems like a lot of times when I do rattle, they come in and they try to come in downwind. They try to circle me. And it doesn't happen as much with grunting, but the one thing that I've I've, I've learned even with with grunting or bleeding is if you're in any sort of an area that has I'm kind of jumping to a slightly different topic here, but if you have like an opening or something in front of you, and say you blind call and one's coming in, they're gonna come to the edge of that opening, staying in the thick stuff and look out for that deer before they come just barreling out. And so that, at that point, you know, decoys can be really effective at that time with being able to pull them. And, um, so I actually, that was another question that was in here was to use decoys in the Pennsylvania wilds. And I do, um, I use those Montana two dimensional decoys. Um, sometimes I'll just use the dough. Other times I'll use the dough and like a little four point buck. So I use both of those and, that's been been really helpful um, in cases of like I just said when you're blind calling and you're trying to get them to commit the extra way. But when you have the two dimensional decoys, sometimes you can run into some issues where they get directly behind it and then the deer disappears because it's two dimensional and they freak out. But I I don't know I I feel like I've had more positive experiences than negative with decoys so I I will use those um, like I said the two, the Montana ones are just they fold up real small and put them on this outside of my pack literally weigh nothing so you can check it out I have it um, in the the blog post uh, for the my gear list you can check it out there I have links to the ones that I bought so you can take a look at those and. Next question is, do you focus on rub lines and is it worth it? Uh, I, I don't focus much on rub lines. I, I mean, the, what I focus on rub lines is if I start finding a concentration of rubs, um, looking to see if it's, you know, related to bedding, um, or if it's just random rubs. But one of the things that like this year I'm focused on, I found, I found a big signpost rub in the spring in a new area. And so I went back in to check that out around October 9th or 10th. And I had, I saw that signpost is freshened up. And then there was a bunch of other big rubs right there along this ridge, just over the edge from the top and some thick hemlock cover. So I, this is the first time I've done, I think it's the first time I've done this through camera right on that signpost rub. And within 10 hours, I had the buck I was hoping to get come in and check that out i sprayed some of the the forehead gland on the on the branch above almost like a, a licking branch of a scrape and then right on the rub so i took that the buck fever synthetics stuff that uh that i got and that i used for all my scrapes and i just sprayed that on it and it was 
it was pretty cool to to be able to see him come in. He did notice my camera, and I don't know if he's been back since. So that's kind of that's kind of you know a risk you take with it. But it was it was cool to see that that's what that was. But he did come through at like four in the morning, so it wasn't in daylight or nothing. I, I don't know. I don't know what the significance of hunting that outside of you know or i guess i don't know the significance of hunting rub lines i haven't done it much i know greg litzinger uh, focuses on those quite a bit and i, I want to get him on to talk specifically about rubs at some point and then the next question was about do you hunt rubs and scrapes and yes I, I i do i do hunt scrapes most of the time um as I mentioned before, I'm looking for, you know, community type scrapes. I'm looking for those 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 big scrapes, not the testosterone driven scrapes. You can go down my logging road and find 15 scrapes down it here, and and that doesn't mean that's going to be the greatest you know spot that they're going to come back to it. Sometimes that buck will leave that and never even revisit it. I like to look for the stuff close to bedding, whether that's buck bedding or even closer to doe bedding now at this time of year or in between it and those travel areas where there's just a bunch of deer coming through that one section. So highly uh, recommend, you know, taking a look at that and and um, that that's kind of some of the stuff I do with, with scrapes. And then um, so the next question was when hunting hillsides, do you prefer the south side? And my question, I mean, my answer would be yes, I do, but mostly it's south and east sides, which is because that most of our predominant winds during this time of year when I'm trying to hunt, which is typically during colder weather, you're looking at northern and westerly winds. So that just makes sense where that's the side that they're going to be traveling on. You got the wind coming across the top hill um, on that side, they're most likely going to be bedded over on those south and east facing slopes so a lot of times i will set up in those places when possible i don't that's not like my end-all be-all i won't like not set up on a you know on a western slope or a northern slope like that's not not the case at all i actually have um, a spot this week i might set up that's a western slope Um, we got some east winds coming in so that's that's one of the things that that uh I'm, i'm definitely gonna pay attention to there but um, so that's kind of, but with hunting hillsides, I do prefer the south and east slides. I, I did a podcast back in March with Nathan Killen. Um, it's my most popular episode I've ever done, and for good reason. Definitely listen to that one as he talks real in detail about his thoughts on south and east facing slopes, and it is money to listen to. So check that out. Um, how do bucks work below benches and below points when traveling? So they don't like to be skylined a lot of times or don't want to have the the pressure, the human pressure on the tops. I've, I have definitely seen bucks in the rut on a wide open top before, but for the most part, they like to be just below the benches or below points when they're traveling. Um, even sometimes they're not going to even, even on like a, a nice bench on the side of a hill or still some cover, sometimes they'll still walk just above the bench or below it on like a little on a weird you know side hill trail but i find that they let the guard down a little bit more this time of year in the pre-rut rut and they'll walk some more of those main trails that they might not the rest of the year so i'm really trying to focus not really on the the hidden spots but the um some of the main travel areas and plus i mean 
I've also seen just deer don't use trails at all during the rut. Like they'll just come from anywhere in any direction, do whatever they want. See bucks just pounding through some just thick stuff, no trails. And so trying to set up with the best, you know, possibility that, that I can have there. Next question is when going in deep, do you prefer to go in at dark or very early versus waiting to sneak in at first light? So I'm going to go into a lot of detail on this question with, um, with Jason red, who I just had on the podcast. He'll be, he'll be coming out in the next episode here. And we talk a lot about that with, especially going in the new areas, but, um, I prefer to go in at the dark, um, you know, being in set up before light, but when it's the rut, I don't think it really matters as much. I'll, a lot of times I'll hunt my way in, you know, right at first light, especially if I can get an extra hour of sleep after hunting for four days, dark to dark, that just helps your mental game so much more and staying on it. And I'd rather be able to sit all day and maybe not be in the stand for the first 45 minutes or half hour of, you know, first light. I don't know. I, I think it's the end of October here, like we're in right now, I like to be in before first light. But as you get into November, I don't think it's as important. I, I've personally never killed a buck at first light and um, during this time of year. So that's just that's my thought process. But look for that episode to come out here. Uh, I might actually even release it still this week and have two come out. Um, l- look at that because there's, there's a lot of good information there when it talks about um, w- what our thought process is with doing that. But I, I just, the, the last thing I just want to say on this is I don't like to, if I'm going to a brand new area, and I'm not really having a tree picked out. I'd rather wait until I can see a little bit and pick the right tree rather than just setting up in a tree that I can't see or do anything once I once it gets light. Next one is when hunting timber cuts, how do you hunt them during November and utilizing train features or how are, how am I doing that? So timber cuts, does love to bed in, in timber cuts as well as bucks do. So there's, there's two thought processes on this that, that I have. Most of it has to do with hunting the edges of the, the timber cuts where they say meet big timber or meet dark timber or whatever it is. Hunting those areas, you would typically find rub lines, scrape lines along those outsides. Um, and, you know, the, the does and the bucks will bed on the outside so they can see out in that open timber but have all the cover and security behind them. Um, so that's one of the thought processes that I have. And if I can find any terrain features that butt up against those edges, um, say a draw comes up and right at the top is where that cut starts. That's a perfect spot that's in there. Um, I had a spot last year that I hunted where I had a little, little draw come up and there was only like 40 yards across that top before I hit a thick, nasty clear cut. And, and there was like some, some oaks and cherries that were mixed in that spot. I mean, it's just a money spot to set up and, you know, spend a few days in during that route funnel. So those are the type of things I'm looking for there or, um, getting in the interior of those timber cuts. So some of those older cuts that might be even 15, 20 years old, some of them that are actually even, you know, three to 10 years old. If you can get in where some of the logging trails cross, um, you know, in the center where you got some multiple trails crossing, that's in you know, mostly using the vegetation as far as features there to try to, to figure it out. But getting on the interior of those cuts can be great. I found that being on the interior, you don't typically see a whole lot of deer, but you could definitely, if you are patient, see the right one by doing that. 
Next question is, does the moon play a role in your hunts? It does not to me. I don't focus on the moon really at all. Um, I mean, I look at it. I hear people talk about it. And if I, if someone tells me it's supposed to be a good week for the moon, might get me a little bit more pumped up. But I haven't I haven't looked into it enough to say if I think it's an advantage or, or not. Like, I haven't looked at my own data or looked back and been like, oh, this is correlated to this. So I, I, I can't really, I don't feel educated enough to comment on that question. Um, next one is, <laughs> this one's a good one. I like these types. What is your preferred snack or food to take in the stand? So I take a lot of snacks and foods in the stand. And so list of some things I take in. Trail mix, just I love just trail mix. It's something about um, things I can eat, you know, a, a bunch of just continually kind of munching on that. Um those the new Mountain Ops protein bars. I the caramel crunch is like a Snickers bar, but a lot better for you, I guess. And they're really filling, so I'll take those in. Um, I started using those this year because they just came out, and really like those. So those will definitely be a, an all day rut sit favorite. And then Heather's Choice Packeroons, awesome. Highly recommend with all these things though, take them out of their original packaging and put them in a Ziploc bag because the original packaging is loud as shit. And it's just when on a cool morning, you just don't want to hear the, the crinkling of your bags there. And then um, lastly, if I have any sort of deer jerky or summer sausage or something along those lines, if I can have that in there, that's, that's probably the, the cat's meow with it. And then lastly, I always like to have a big Yeti full of coffee. So having big, big thing, a thermos of coffee in there is just, is a, again, a mental boost. When it's super cold and you just open it up and that steam hits you in the face, I, I can't think of anything better, honestly. So I, those are my preferred snack food items. Um, I usually take more in, but it just, it depends on what I, what I have available, I guess, at that time to, to be able to eat. Um, next question is, do you urinate out of the tree? Yes, I do. I, I do not bring a bottle in to piss in. I always go out of the tree. Um, that really sucks on them cold frosty mornings because it is extremely loud, but, uh, that's, I, I do not worry about the scent with it because actually when I'm going in, if I have to walk by, say the scrape or whatever I'm hunting, I always piss in that myself. Um, I, I just, I, I have not seen where urine is a is something that deters them from um, a smell standpoint. I can see it being an issue with sound, especially like I said on loud leaves and stuff. And that's, you know, I I haven't been. I don't think that I can remember being busted doing that, but I could see how you could be. So that's I, I guess that would be a good argument against it. But I just don't like carrying an extra bottle in to to go through that whole thing plus i have to go multiple times a day so that's not gonna really work out that well and the last question i have is what type of boots do you wear and so i like to wear leather boots and and, and the reason is even though it's worse for scent i think that they breathe a lot better if i'm hiking in a long ways my feet don't sweat as much so if my feet don't sweat then they're not going to get cold when I'm sitting on the stand so for me i'm i'm wearing you know during the colder type pre-rut rut i have these i have crispy boots they're 400 gram of insulation and i'm they're the wild rock of the specific model and just i wear those in lightly insulated but breathable enough 
get to my stand. I throw on my hot mocks, which is they're completely out of business. So if you look them up, you're probably not going to find any. And if you do send me a link because I want more, <laughs> they're like a, just a basically a slipper that goes over top of your boot, but not as big as like the Arctic shield ones are not bulky at all. And then I just slide a, a body warmer on the top of each of those. And that keeps my feet warm all day long. So that's what I got. That, those are the questions that I had as far as the, the pre-rut rut. And just to kind of leave this one here, one thing I would say is this is the time of year to be in the tree. Don't overthink it. Don't go into And I'm saying this as I'm saying this. I'm saying this to myself to listen. But uh, use what you've learned in your scouting or in your previous knowledge to be confident in your setups. Give it time. You know, be patient and do what you need to do to, to get it done. Don't stress yourself out. Um, it's much easier said than done, but you got to be confident in it and go into your places just, you know, hoping for the best. And if things aren't working out the, the way and you think that you've given it the ample amount of time, then, you know, do something different. But it's, it is our favorite time of year as whitetail hunters, and it's it's going to be a grind. It's the time where, where you got to lay it all out there, put as much time in the woods as you possibly can, and hopefully come out successful. So I wish everyone luck here. Hopefully by the next time I'm doing an episode, got a buck down. Um, I don't know. I've said this on the – I said this before my last elk hunt in the caribou hunt, and it worked out. So I'm just going to say that there now and hope for the best. <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, I was going to say I had the Mountain Bucks blaze orange hats up on the website, but those sold out in a couple days. So I don't have any of those up there, but I got a bunch of apparel and everything on the website if, if you want to check that out and want to help support the, the podcast here bunch of filming going on finally going to do some some whitetail filming to to be able to show up on the youtube channel so looking forward to to doing that and um lastly the the guys from the the hunting public were in this this week here this past week and got to hang out with them a little bit got to meet dan infault and the the crew there and they're just were really really cool and i, I can't wait to get to see these the, the videos from their, their time here. Pretty cool. Pretty cool to get to see them. Just like I said, great group of guys, hard workers, and really can adapt well to, to any situation. But um, anyways, good luck. Take care, and uh, we'll see you next one. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.